Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., and today my returning guest is John Pavlovitz. He's an author. He's a Christian who is all about diversity. He says on his Twitter bio, he says he's unapologetically committed to equality, diversity, compassion, love, and justice. I adore this man. He's been on the show twice before. He is such a positive voice. He's such a good human being. And I love, you know, like, I am not a religious person myself, but I so appreciate people who, who can, how do you say this, like, who are religious, but, but are all about equality. And, you know, he talks about the fact that evangelicals are, are, are really doing damage and, and hurting. You know, my grandmother was a Catholic, and she, she was such a loving and wonderful person. She was never the kind of person that weaponized religion like fucking Marco Rubio. <laughs> pisses me off when I think about him. Anyway, so we're going to talk to John. We're going to just go over all the basics. You know, Trump is going crazy. And what are we going to do now? What are we, what are we going to do when he's gone? What's going to happen? So John's just going to share with us. We talk a little bit about his blog posts and his, his tweets. And, you know, I just ask him questions about what he thinks is going to happen. So if you enjoy today's show, please take a look at the about page. Um, I always include, there's links to past guests that you can listen to some of those shows. I usually interview political people, people who spend their time talking about politics. Although occasionally I interview actors and actresses, which by the way, I'm going to be talking with Kirsten Warren. She was on the show before, but she's coming back on Wednesday. We're I just, you know, she did this whole thing on Bicentennial Man over the weekend. She was in that movie. So we're going to talk about that and so many other things. I absolutely adore her. I think she is so sweet. But today it's going to be John Pavlovitz. And like I said, if you like the show, just go to the About section. Take a look at the description of the show, the people I've interviewed, and consider becoming a patron. You can just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And when you go, you'll see all the different tiers and let me explain to you what I do. Twice a week, I do, I, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I do free shows. And then I do two patrons-only shows per month. Now, they're divided up, and I'll get to that in a minute. But then I also do, after every free show, I'm doing what I'm calling Kimberly's After Party. And that's just me talking about whatever I want. Sometimes I talk about politics. Sometimes I don't. Like today I talked about Thanksgiving and some music videos (laughs) that I was in, but you'll see what I'm talking about. So now if you sign up for $4 or less, you will get both free shows and one patrons only show, which I usually do with Steph Walton, but sometimes with other people. If you sign up for $5 or more, or if you upgrade to $5 or more, then you'll get everything. You'll get the free shows, You'll get both patrons-only shows with me and Steph, and you'll get all of the Kimberly's after parties, which I just have to say, people seem to be enjoying it, so that's good. I, you know, I'm basically giving it a go and seeing, you know, what people have to say about it, and for now, that's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so you can just sign up at Patreon.com/slash/StartMeUp. You could say sign up for two bucks, and if you want to upgrade later upgrade later but you can whatever tier you go into you can choose to make that any dollar amount you want I think I have six tiers so you don't necessarily have to go with the number amount that I have offered you you can change it to any dollar amount you like again 
patreon.com slash start me up. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the, the text in the Patreon description of my shows. I always include my email address, which you can use for PayPal. And then don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, so many people are taking my, my, my cues and my, my helpful suggestions, and they're going, and they're subscribing because it's free. Just go to either iTunes, you go to Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe. That's for free. And then while you're there, if you like the show, please give me a rating, and please give me a good review. Again, if you like the show. And you don't have to write a lot. Just just say, hey, I really like the show or whatever you want to say. That's great. Because as an author, as a podcaster, I live on reviews. So I really would appreciate it. All right. That's it. Please enjoy my conversation with John Pavlovitz. Welcome back to the show, John. It is so good to be back with you, my friend. Oh, I love talking to you. You're such a you're such a good and special man. And, and your voice is so needed. And sometimes I feel like... Just the voice that I have, I, I don't want to belittle myself or, or take anything away, but, you know, we all have our roles to play, and sometimes I just feel like I'm screaming and shouting and using profanity all the time. And so it's good that there are people like you who really, you know, I mean, not only it's just, it's not your, just your tweets, it's your whole message, it's what you write, it's your books, everything. You are such a positive man and such a positive person. And so before we even start, I just want to say, once again, thank you for your voice. It's, it's so important and it's so needed, especially in these times. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. My, my wife would argue with you. I, I call myself an Olympic-level pessimist, but part of what my job is to do is to be out there and sort of synthesize all these different stories that I'm hearing and trying to put some clarity to them. And that's the great power of, of community. You know, we all kind yeah. of have these roles, like you said, and we some days you feel like you can fight, and some days I feel like I can. Right. When, some days we have to opt out, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, this morning, uh, I want to get to these things in a minute. I don't want to start it off this way, but I'm already seeing because Biden basically announced this all-female communications team and already, especially women, are starting in about how, you know, the gender thing. And it's it's when I just basically saying that it's not about gender and that women in Trump administration lied too. And it it's the first thing I see in the morning. And I, I for four years, a little more than four years, well, and before that, there were there were Republicans who were just awful. So, you know, we've been fighting against this. It's fascism, it's sexism, it's misogyny, it's all these negative things that we keep fighting against and pushing against. And when I see it coming from, excuse me, from the news media, when I see it coming from the far left fringe, whatever it is, those are the two entities, I don't know what else you call them, that groups, whatever, that make me more angry than MAGA because and that's what I want to start off with is because MAGA is like a cult and they've been in my opinion for the most part not everybody but especially like the hardcore base it seems to me they've been brainwashed they've been lied to they <laughs> believe the lies and yes it might have st- it, it might have started from a, a, a you know bigotry and then you see it or you know sexism or whatever and then it's repeated in the GOP it's repeated on Fox and then it validates their own you know, feelings of racism or whatever it is, but right. when it's come, but, but I, it's not that I say it's not their fault. It is their fault, but they are a brainwashed cult. The news media and left supposedly leftists aren't in a cult. 
And so Shrek. when we attack our own, it drives me nuts and it makes me so angry. But but what I really want to start with, because I'm curious about this, um, you know, Biden won. And yeah. we, we found out on that one Saturday, whatever the date was, and everybody was happy and people were dancing at gas stations and singing and woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. And, um, you know, and everybody's like, finally, we can breathe. But it seems like we can't really breathe because the chaos continues. And I'm just wondering what you're making of all of this. Yeah, I can remember, you know, Saturday afternoon, it was like, I think, 1130 here <laughs> in Houston, where my wife and I took the dogs out for a walk, and it was just like this big exhale, and then yeah. you're wondering, though, how long is this going to last, and yeah. it, turned it, it turned out to last, you know, less than 24 hours, right. really, and I think that's the, the toll of this administration, that's been their intent from the beginning, right, and I think so many of us have been fighting for so long that we had this expectation that this one date mm-hmm. was going to sort of magically erase things, and, and now we're just finding out okay this stuff is going to be lingering and Mm -hmm. so there is just a little deflation but also it just fortifies us i think it makes it makes people like me say okay doesn't matter what happened i mean it matters what happened Mm -hmm. in november 3rd but all this stuff that trump has unearthed Mm -hmm. and revealed i mean that's not going away so in some ways it's just our reality now it's just i think for so many of us we're exhausted and we need that that space to say, okay, I want some time when I think we're not going to be in a constitutional crisis. That would be great. (laughs) I know that would be, wouldn't it? And it's just, I mean, it seems to me that now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing people in the press, in the news media who are likening the Trump administration or like comparing the two, which first of all, Biden doesn't even have an administration yet. He's assembling it and it's already being compared. And I feel that's so dangerous because it's that normalization of what Trump did. It's the acceptance of it. And as if, well, oh, well, you know, that was just what the Republicans were doing and saying. And, And it just seems to me that it is, it's a cult and it's, you know, I mean, I had Greg Oliar on here last week and he made a comment and, and, and I really, it resonated with me in that, you know, we always say the number of people who voted with Trump are in a cult. And that's really not true because mm-hmm. there's there's like this hardcore base that they are in the cult. And then there are other people. And I mentioned a girlfriend who I used to be friends with who she's not like, I mean, she voted for Trump and I imagine she probably voted for him twice. I cut, I cut her out of my life, but I still spy on her on social media. <laughs> but um, she had said uh, something, but she did a video and she made a comment like, in praise of our democracy, it was right after the election and nobody had been, it, Joe Biden hadn't been called yet, but mm. she was all about like, hey, this is a great, we have democracy and whoever wins, wins. So she, in my opinion, even though she has betrayed women and betrayed this country by voting for him, she is not one of the lunatics who's going to run out with a gun or she's, right. you know, she's not going to behave that way. But I mean, I feel like because you do have such an important voice and it is more of a unifying voice, even though some people in the cult are not going to listen to you, what do you think is the best way to deal with what we have to deal with moving forward? Because we literally have millions of people in this country in a cult. We do. And I think for me, you know, as a person of faith, I'm in this world where so many of the people that we're talking about who've embraced Trumpism are, are professed 
Christians. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of most, most mystifying thing. And for me, it's realizing a lot of them are in, are in a cult, but it's not even Trumpism. It's this cult of this fear-based religion. Yeah. And then it's this theology or this, you know, politics of the outsider and you're always in danger. And so the only thing we can do to people who are in this trapped in this fear is show them something else. So I'm always trying to show them no, that actually diversity is the better path, that a wider understanding of your religion is going to yield a more mm -hmm. compassionate human being. And the more you can do that. So that's why, for me, it's embracing that and getting more people to cross political and religious affiliations and say, no, we're going to meet here in our shared humanity. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we do that loud enough and more visible enough, some of these people who are Trumpers by convenience are going to be pulled back into reality. Hmm. Uh, I think it's really a crisis of imagination in some ways. Like people just forget, no, actually everyone is not out to get you and someone else's gain is not your loss. Yeah. And people who don't look like you are not a danger, but it's so easy for them to forget that because that's all they've known for decades. Wow. wow. I, now, have you been able to change some of these people's minds that you ones you were talking about like the ones who are who are not completely lost in that cult but like i don't remember the term you used but i mean have you ever have you been able to convince some of these people to kind of come out and <laughs> come out of the ether not a one no i'm <laughs> kidding um no i think yeah because see the, 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 my writing fortunately I'm, I'm grateful that it's reached a large number of people yeah and what that tells me is there are many people who are who may look like Trumpers from afar. They mm -hmm. may have voted for him and they may be Republicans still, but what they're doing is they're saying, I'm asking some of these questions too. I have discomfort in this area. Mm -hmm. And so I think you see that there is a large kind of swath of people in that middle mm -hmm. who are not extremists on either side and who are not wanting this, who are as exhausted. And I think they're still receptive. And so I hear people all the time, people write me every day and they're, they're saying, oh, I don't agree with you on these things, but I get this. And that's right. all you can really ask yeah. for right now is to have people still receptive to what you're talking about. Well, you wrote an article called This Presidency is Killing Relationships and We're All Grieving. And so I'm just going to – you wrote, we're not just being pulled apart along political lines, but the fragile, time-woven fabric of our most intimate connections with people are being torn in two right now. Marriages, families, lifelong friendships, yes. Uh, faith, communities, and social circles that survived every previous assault from within and without may not survive this presidency. But I, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, I totally agree because there are people that I know who voted for him that I just said I can't. I can't know you anymore. And, and yeah. those people were not, I was not close with them. It's not like we were best friends. And I said, I can't, it's just people I've known throughout the course of my life. Like this one woman who frankly, um, I, I look back on our friendship and I, I think that in, in the case of that particular relationship, I think there was a gen general fondness of each genuine fondness of each other, but there was also a little bit of, and not in a bad way, but I used her and she used me. We were there for each other mm -hmm. at certain times of our lives when we needed that particular relationship. And then we kind of moved on and stayed friends just online. And then over, you know, over a very long period of time, we were friends. And then and then it just Trump came in and I saw they voted for them. And I'm like, I can't even I can't know you anymore. But I yeah. but I'm curious because um, as you were, you know, as we're talking about, OK, Trump is going to be gone. But Trumpism isn't going to be gone. 
and we're still going to have these issues with our families. And I have MAGA relatives, and I mean, fortunately, my MAGA relative and I don't talk about politics, but it's still there. And I, I feel like, what? Do, how are we going to navigate through this? Well, the thing about what's happening right now is no one has gone unscathed. And re- whether you're, you know, Republican or Democrat or Independent, we all. I tell people who are not Trump supporters. Trump supporters may act like they're defiant, but they're actually grieving your loss. They know they notice the empty table, empty chairs at the table. Mm-hmm. They notice the lack of communication yeah. too, and so they tell themselves a different story. But we're kind of all grieving it. Uh, hmm. For me, it's really about saying, okay, I have to look at each individual relationship and and ask myself. What hills am I worth this relationship dying over? Mm-hmm. Some are going to be easier than others. But, you know, my my story has taught me the more authentic I became, there was a cost to that. Mm-hmm. And some of those relationships, I have hundreds of people from my former churches who no longer speak to me and are quite angry with me. But had I not said the things I needed to say, other people wouldn't get the message that they've gotten through mm-hmm. my words. And so we kind of have to look. Some relationships are going to be the lasting collateral damage of us realizing what we care about. It just, that's how it is. Yeah. Wow. You know, some, some we can repair and some we're going to work for, but for me, I never want to keep a tenuous peace with someone and deny a, you know, a vulnerable person, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be heard, you know, so part that's the sacrifice. We have a very, um, I've never had to have someone fight for me. And we have people right now who are relatives and friends they're doing incredible damage to because of this administration. And yeah. so I think of them every day that I, that I do this work. That's such a good point that you mentioned that they're grieving too, because I, I hadn't thought of it that way. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they have a different story, yeah. but they're feeling that loss as well. I mean, I don't think my friend feels the loss because neither one of us really feel that loss. It wasn't something tight, but there are so many people who are very close like close relatives that can't talk to their relative. I mean, I don't feel the loss of my MAGA relative because she's still there. And, you know, like she told me, I spoke with her obviously on Thanksgiving and she seemed to believe that everything's going to be fine with COVID because we're all going to get the same drug that Trump got. And I, I'm Mm -hmm. not even, I don't even want to argue with her or have any kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to debate it with her. I've never wanted to talk anything about, there was one time when I wanted to find out, it was 2012, and I, I said, who is your candidate? Because she's, mm. she was, uh, I don't know, she's Republican. I don't even know if you could call her. or She's, she's just one of the brainwashed flock. Anyway, um, I wanted to see who her pick was. And her pick, which she finally told me after she screamed at me for like seven minutes about <laughs> Barack Obama, was Ted Cruz. But... And, and I did not want to argue. I just wanted to know because I knew that, that she was pretty much a Tea Party Republican. So I was yeah. like, okay, well, who is it that you like? I was taking the temperature. Not, I wasn't going to debate with her. And she just starts screaming at, at me about Obama. So I would raise my voice, but I wasn't like being mean. or I was like, raise my And I'm like, I don't want to talk about Obama. And then, you know, and she'd scream about Obama. And I just kept telling her, I am not talking to you about, I want to know. So I finally got it out of her. And then we just switched the subject. But still, it's like the idea that some of, that they're mourning. And I wonder what's going on. You know, I saw there was a guy 
he was talking to Joy Reid, and he used to be in a cult, and he was young at the time, mm. and was able to get out of that cult. And he was saying that there are intelligent people in a cult, and we shouldn't, and I've said this all along, we should not think that they're stupid or call them stupid. Some MAGA supporters are stupid. They're not intelligent. They're idiots, and they totally give in to their racism and sexism and all that. But there's a lot of them that do, too, that are are college educated and they're yeah. articulate and they're very successful in their lives and, and they are otherwise intelligent human beings. But brainwashing works. I mean, I lived in Russia in 1981 in, in a police state. I saw firsthand how brainwashing works. And right. it's like you, you can be very smart and be brainwashed. And so I'm like, I just I don't I saw that you had written another thing that you were talking about your family and you were saying like I was paying attention I was listening I believe you I did what you told me to do and I became who you told me to become and so now I care about the world and I despise evil and I live open hearted and open handed and so I mean I don't know I feel like I just I feel like I want you to give all the answers here and I know you don't have them but what is the best way for us to move forward? I, I think that's the, the difficult part of, of this, what we're going through. Yeah, we're all grieving. The difference is someone like Joe Biden is out there saying to the rest of us, hey, let's figure out a path forward. Mm-hmm. But then you've got Trump saying to people who are still aligned with him, hey, screw them. They're the enemy. Mm-hmm. So you can't even get to that point where you have people in your life that you're trying to deal with relationally. But they're still attached to this person and this story of uh, fraud and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So that's the, the most challenging thing in these days is you assume everyone is operating in some sort of reality, right? Mm-hmm. That there is objective truth that we can at least meet at. Yeah. When you don't have that, that's yeah. the really difficult part. It's when the cult affects someone to the point where data and information is irrelevant. And so then you're looking through this pandemic and saying, well, wait a minute, you're arguing, you're a well, you're supposed to be pro-life and you're not wearing a mask. So tell me yeah. how that, how you figure that out. How does that work in your brain? Um, that's, I think Fox News has done mm-hmm. between that and the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. You see this pollution of people's sense of reality. And you know, until they get out of that, there's nothing you can do. Nothing is going to work because we're all wow. trying to find some sort of stable ground to stand on. And we don't have that. Wow. Well, I mean, you're absolutely, you know what? I never thought of it. <coughs> Excuse me. I never thought of the evangelical church, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought of it, but I, not in the way you just presented it because I feel like Fox news. And then, I mean, I think that the, the toxic right wing messaging that we hear on the, uh, like the AM stations on the radio stations, well, not just AM because now we have serious radio and we have all that stuff, but, um, whether it's OAN or the, there's always going to be like a fringe element, right? Yeah. So that's never going to go away, but it, it, it can be reduced. But when you have a news network or what they call a news network, that's primarily opinion based on lies. Um, that's that's right. doing such a disservice to this country and adding to the cult. And then I feel like, you know, and I've said this before and I'm just going to keep pushing it. That it, I, I believe that schools, every high school in this country, should make it mandatory to pass civics. And it's not mm. some multiple choice questionnaire. They need to, children need to be able to explain government, you know, write right. it out, and they can't 
pass high school unless they pass civics. And I feel like if we could get rid of Fox or if we could, you know, bring back the fairness doctrine or whatever it is and and regulate them to where they can't get away with these blatant lies. I mean, the blatant lies that are causing deaths with COVID, you know? Yeah, we had, you know, one of our older relatives, I can, she was always a, a person of faith and always attended church, but was compassionate, mm-hmm. really warm and loving. And she started to see this sort of change in her over time. Wow. And then finally her language got so specific. I, I, we walked into the house one day and they weren't expecting us to come. And we saw that Fox news was on the TV and she sort of came down. It was like, there was pornography on. She like turned it off really quickly. and was like, Oh, hi. You know, and then <laughs> and all the dots connected yeah. between her conservative religion and what Fox news does. And it's not just the lack, the factual you know distortions, mm-hmm. but it's the leveraging of fear mm-hmm. because when people are afraid, they will do mm-hmm. really irrational things. And this, this person is afraid of immigrants and afraid of, gay people and afraid of muslims and over and over again so you get people in a perpetual state of you know Mm -hmm. being terrified and then trump comes in and goes i'll take care of you and they want to believe that story you know that's part of this too there's a self-delusion to embrace someone like trump you have to you have to buy into that and then you're that story you're dependent on that story yeah that's just oh that's it's so sad because you know i mean there was a time in my life when i lived in a primarily white it was just there was there were Asian people. It wasn't horribly diverse, but maybe I was in Southern California at the time, so there were maybe some you know some Mexicans and a good I, there was a good uh, amount of Asians in that community, and then primarily white people. And so I remember feeling like I really I mean I was a teenager and I and I enjoyed it, and I had come from Hollywood which was very different. And the school that I went to in Hollywood was actually in Silver Lake. There were, uh, even though I never had anything, there was never anything too crazy that I experienced myself, but there were rival gangs. Basically, it was the stoners and the cholos. And my school, we had the stoners. And and it was basically the sons. I I don't really think there, I guess there might have been some girls in the gang, but primarily it was boys. And so I, I remember, like, they would have practice fights on each other to, you know, make sure they were ready for real fights. And, and, and it was and then we moved from Silver Lake to Hollywood. And I right. I lived between Franklin Avenue and Hollywood Boulevard. That was my neighborhood. And I would walk mm-hmm. down to Hollywood Boulevard where there was a 7-Eleven and not even kidding. There were prostitutes and pimps. And the pimps yeah. would, uh, you know, approach me and my girlfriend. And so I remember moving to this community that was pr- predominantly white people. And I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. I didn't see that. All I saw was a happy, fun environment. And, I, and, and, and it's like, I, I can look back now. And, and even though no one said anything out loud, nobody said anything derogatory about black people or Mexican people, um, it, it was kind of racist because no, there were no black people. There were no Mexican people. There were no Armenian people there. You know, it's like mm. it, it just and, and, and there weren't any because in a way they were excluded. 
And, you know, I mean, I had a, uh, my first boyfriend was Mexican and my girlfriend, who was a Trump voter, I remember just her being so disgusted by him. Now, granted, he was he was what was called a death rocker and he wore ridiculous clothes and he was <laughs> stupid. But um, so I know she was cringing a little bit on his appearance outside of being a Mexican. But again, I think it was a combination. And it's very it's like as a white woman who clearly has privilege, I can I can look it's not so much my behavior, but the behavior of w- what I accepted. Like, oh, that's yeah. okay. It's it's okay that everyone here is white. I didn't even think about it. I just didn't even think about it. And now I look back and I cringe and I feel like, I don't know, we, we've got to, why is it, why are we so filled with fear because somebody has a different religion or skin color or, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's so frustrating. Well, yeah, and I can, you know, that's part part of my story is growing up in upstate New York, and I was in a really sort of sequestered bubble, and I was a night, you know, had decent people around me, and the the adults were all talking about, you know, I, I assumed that they loved diversity, but, you know, the diversity was like from white to beige around me, <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. I go down to <laughs> Philadelphia to go to college, and I'm living right in the heart of the city, and then I'm immersed in this whole new, you know, set of surroundings, and people and who believe differently and look differently and my world expanded. And then, so what mm-hmm. happened, there was a frustration for me going back home and trying to convey that to people who haven't seen what you've seen and experienced mm-hmm. what you've experienced. And I think, you know, I was driving through here in North Carolina and I'm here in Raleigh, but you drive 20 minutes outside of the city and it gets really red, really fast. Mm-hmm. And you're in the middle of nowhere and was with my son and he looked around and he was like, wow, can you imagine living in this town your whole life, how would you ever even think about Muslim people? How would you, well, how would you even think about, you know, LGBTQ people if you were only here in that, you know, sheltered place. And I think that's the thing you see people who are just, they never get geographically out and Mm -hmm. they never get intellectually outside of where they grew up. And that sort of tribalism is there. And that's just so frustrating because like, you know, and I've experienced more voices is better, you know, and more diverse yes. experience is richer and there's nothing to fear there. And so I'm always trying to remind people who are kind of stuck in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I, I remember we had moved back to Hollywood. We had lived in this, I, I'm not going to name it, but everybody who knows where I used to live knows. And, and I had a lovely time there. I loved living there and I don't think it's a terrible place, but it's just, I realize when I look back, it's like, oh my God, this was happening. This was going on. And I really wasn't even aware of it. I mean, granted I was a teenager and I was focused on what was right in front of my face. I wasn't thinking in any kinds of like diversity or political terms. And I had been prior to, um, prior to living there, the school that I went to, which I very much enjoyed there. Like I said, there were a lot of there there were the two rival gangs but i i liked my school and i felt really comfortable there but i was um and i've talked about this before on the show i was probably one of uh, th- i would say that pr- it was mostly uh hispanic kids that was the majority and then mm-hmm. there were a lot of asians and all different kinds of asians all kinds and then after that you would have uh black and white kids so we were definitely in the minority, but of course, because of the privilege, I never experienced discrimination based on my skin color, which I imagine is not the case for like a black kid going to 
a school, let's say, with primarily white kids. I, I would imagine right. they feel discrimination. I never felt discrimination. And I again, I attribute it to my white pr- privilege. But um, I had experienced that. And then I had this like kind of white life. And then we come back and I was come back to Hollywood and I was probably about 19 and eventually I got involved in acting and before I was in acting I was in retail and so in those experiences within the retail experience and within the uh, acting experience like you're talking about this rich diversity there were there were gay people there were trans people there were people all uh, from all over the world you know I mean just all over I lived in a I lived in Glendale California which was there was a huge population of Armenians and so and there was you know there was of course, there's a lot of Mexican people living in California. And to me, I, ap- I absolutely grew to love Mexican culture so much, even though when we first moved there, the Mexicans were the ones that everybody spoke, to, you know, had derogatory things to say. Uh, mm. That culture is so rich in Los Angeles and the food and just everything, everything. I mean, it's just it's it's so much of Los Angeles is based on me- Mexican culture. And, and it's like it's just such a shame that. People, like you were saying, when they're in their little tiny geographical area where there's primarily white people and nobody else, that's all they know. And then those messages from evangelicals and from Republicans, they are being taught fear and hatred. And, it, and, and now I think, unfortunately, Donald Trump and his administration, like that's the head. It came to a head. Yeah. And it's and we're left with this country now that's extremely divided, and and not only are we divided politically, um, and I've seen you've been writing about this, especially with MAGA men. You're saying the weakness of MAGA men with COVID. It's like it's become politicized. This this virus. I can I can remember in March, you know, thinking, okay, this is going to be really rough, but there's no way you know, he's going to weaponize this. There's no way they're going to politicize this. And it was just been staggering to watch that, to watch people fighting to not wear a mask. It's the most counterintuitive thing that you can ever imagine. I was, and I was talking to a friend of mine from Taiwan the other day and she was, I said, you know, she goes, well, you know, we follow instructions here, so Mm -hmm. we're doing great. And I talked about all this kind of movement of my personal liberties and this whole MAGA aesthetic. And then she said, well, yeah, but who's free now? I can go to the movies today. I can visit my family. Enjoy your freedom over there. And that's, you know, you talk about culture, the beauty of Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. You know, the irony is that America, like white America is not a culture. And it's (laughs) like we somehow nationalism has created this thing like that there is this beautiful thing that needs to be protected by excluding all these traditions that have been around for longer than our nation has been a nation (laughs) as we recognized it and so that's the the strange thing it's like indigenous people or immigrants who actually created the beauty of this nation this white kind of american thing is is taking precedence over it and there's no culture there it's just a strange thing to yeah, and whatever culture there, it seems to it seems for the most part to be very toxic and and negative, and it's just so sad. It's like what God? I think what it th- this administration, I I always understood there was white supremacy. I always understood there was sexism and racism and all of it. I mean, I wasn't naive, right. but I really feel like boy. I had no idea. Now, I'm sure if I were a black person or a person of color, I would be like, yeah, duh. (laughs) I've been dealing with this my whole life. But it's, you know, when you're when you're not experiencing it, when you're not. 
and also, you know, I mean, as a woman, although I have faced discrimination, I, I have been fortunate in that some of the things that I've chosen, with the exception of acting, um, the things that I've chosen to do, especially a sales career, I chose to work on commission. And some might argue that, you know, you, you might not make as much as a woman because men prefer to deal with men or people prefer but I never found that and especially in the industries that I chose to work one of the industries was industrial chemicals and that was a man's world that was blue collar for the most part it was like blue collar men and in Los Angeles a woman walking into any kind of atmosphere where it's the majority of men working we were welcome with open arms they loved mm. us and yeah. and it was it was great and um the industry hired women because we did such a good job of, you know, yeah, we broke up the day for these guys. They're, you know, doing their thing. And then here comes a woman and they, they gossip just as much as women do. So they <laughs> loved to gossip to us and they love to tell us all the stories or they like to listen to our stories. And, you know, we, we always had fun. And, and, and then I worked in the industry that was basically giftware, which was, you know, going into gift stores and, being a woman didn't hurt me doing that. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had, um, you know, I haven't experienced major oppression. I've definitely experienced sexism and misogyny, but I've been really fortunate. Um, and, and then, you know, so I realized that there's a little bit of a bubble I was in. I had a certain perception of the world. And then, you know, I, I started becoming, uh, you know, political, I would say, you know, out, outspoken or online or whatever obviously the internet gave me a voice that I never could have had before so once that started like back in 2012 uh, that's when my eyes were opening but we had Obama as president mm -hmm. and then when it switched over and Trump became president and it was clear that white nationalist groups were you know getting emboldened it's not that they weren't it's not that they didn't exist they always existed but he was, he's making them feel emboldened and I'm looking back on my life and I'm, and I'm recognizing, just like I'm saying when I was a teenager and living in this very white environment, I look back on it and I feel like, wow, I, I didn't really realize what was going on and I see that we have so much work to do and then this brings us to Biden is naming all, all women to be on his communications uh, all in communications and then so this is what Olivia Newsy writes she goes the most important thing about this new administration's communication team isn't the gender of the staff but whether the staff is accessible and transparent with the press as we as we've seen repeatedly in the briefing room in these last four years women in government lie too so I'm like oh my god this man was so mad and I'm like who's screaming about John what if John Kerry lies what if right. what if another man in this administration lies? Why are we both sizing it? This is crazy. It's making me mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think you know you you hit on some when you were talking earlier this idea of just how polarized we are. I think you know obviously uh, as people of privilege, but we we we've been people of privilege who have at least been trying to understand yeah. that privilege. Right. And what I say to people who are are relative. Uh, you know, strong activists is that we've seen the fractures there, but they, we knew they were beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And the difference is now it's sort of like a compound fracture where it's through the skin yeah. and we're all going, Whoa, because, you know, I think in even 10 years ago, you would have never seen as many 
members of a party representing that party coming out with this just nonsense. And, and I think that's where it makes that digging of the heels in much more difficult. And I think the other thing that Trump has done, which is masterful, is basically say, if you're with me, it's not enough to be to think we're taking too many precautions in this pandemic, but you have to see it as a hoax and some sort of conspiracy or you can't be uncomfortable with players kneeling before a football game. You have to see it as an attack on America. Mm -hmm. So he pulls everyone to this extremist place and it's really hard to bring people back from that sort of battle posture they're always in. So what do you think is going to like, okay, so we're going to have this transition and, you know, we're, Biden's going to become president. Clearly, he's got this very diverse cabinet. And I, I genuinely believe that he is keeping his word, saying that he is going to be the bridge to the next generation. And I do think it's really important that we have people of all ages and all, you know, sets of experience, especially experienced people. But I mean that we have all different it's, it's diverse it's diversity and that's a really good thing and then of course we've got to win georgia we have to win georgia because yeah. if we don't we're really screwed but i mean at least we'll have a strong doj and we will have a, a diverse cabinet and it you know we'll have another chance hopefully in 2022 we'll see what happens there but what is your overall feeling i mean like what are the themes that you're writing about what are the things that you're thinking about as far as what's going to be happening moving forward you know, my hope, Kimberly, is that that we're going to get nine months, 12 months, 18 months out of this. And a lot of the people who were swept up on Trump's side in in that insanity and that fight and that constant urgency, that they're going to realize, oh, actually, there's a better way to be. And we don't have to have this constant, um, you know, confrontation and everything doesn't have to be this big emergency. And I think when you remove that incendiary presence I think there is going to be a a definite change. And I think without Trump there, if he's not even involved, which I don't know if he's going to be, I don't think he can be anything but the top dog, but I think sanity is going to begin to prevail. And a bunch of people are going to say, wow, it's actually better to exist this way. We've all gotten used to this sort of adrenaline high Mm -hmm. of always being in the middle of that. And I think we're going to decompress from that. And I'm hoping that there will be just a lot of productive things happen out, out of this administration going forward. Do you think, do you think we're, I mean, like what's your take on, and I know you, you can't, you're not a magician or a psychic or anything, but I mean, what's your take on where COVID is going? I mean, the, the, the thing that concerns me, obviously, as, as you pointed out, Trump has, has this real special talent to make people feel like, well, if you wear a mask, you're not with me. If you wear a mask, you're not patriotic. You don't have freedom, whatever it is. Um, so he's undermining whatever Biden is going to do. So, and, and it looks like, you know, Moderna now is looking for, um, FDA approval for a vaccine. And we've, we've got some, we've got some promising hope with, with vaccines. And I know that Biden is going to do what he needs to do, but you know, is it going to be enough? What do you anticipate? The sad part is right now, I feel like we're just trying to keep away from the people who aren't listening. You know, it's like we're trying to avoid dangerous people until we can get this vaccine. And I think but again, if if Trump is out of the limelight a little bit, Mm -hmm. I think he's not going to be that constant pressure on Republicans to follow that line, you know, because that yeah. I keep thinking there has to be more yeah. Republicans who think this is insanity, but they know that their futures are tied up with him. Yeah. And when they begin to feel that pressure lessen, may, maybe more of them will come out and say, yeah, well, these restrictions, we have to have these. 
um, that's that's the only hope. But other than that, it's about the rest of us going, okay, we got to be extra diligent because they're not going to be um, – because the story they're telling themselves is just um, a, not a factual one. Yeah, and it's just so sad. I mean, I mean, how confident are you? I wanted to ask you how confident are you? Because you know, there's this, there's the idea that, like SDNY, and I, I hope I say her name right, Letitia James. They're they've got all this stuff on Trump, and I know yeah. she she does not play. You know, she's serious. And, right. and it seems to me, if I were her, I would have it ready to go so that on January 20th at like 1201 or whatever after Joe <laughs> Biden is sworn in, they go right after Trump. But of course, there's there is PTSD as far as, you know, we've been triggered to believe that he can get away with everything, although he hasn't gotten away. He didn't win this election and he couldn't steal it. That's um, right. But I mean, how confident are you that he's going to have to pay some kind of legal price for some of the crimes that he's committed? Because we know it won't be for everything, but... Yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident. You know, a lot some people disagree with me, but I think I think a couple of things are going to happen once he's no longer uh, you know, once he's no longer beneficial to Republicans, they're going to divest themselves of him and then he's going to fire back and he's going to open himself up to so much more. And I, I think uh, I think it's going to happen. And I don't think he's going to be able to run in 2024 because I do think he's going to be buried in all sorts of litigation. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the administration or anyone around it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful that he's going to be made accountable in some point. Um Gosh, that's where you go as a person of faith, man. You you want God to show up and go, okay, this is gonna. As if not, uh, it's all you know. But um, I believe he will. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you? Th what do you think? I mean, I know Greg Oliar thinks that at, at the very, very least, we will see indictments against his children. Do you think that's going to happen? Because it looks like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ivanka wants to run in twenty twenty four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's to me, that's been the story here is this the, the carelessness of his family, the mm -hmm. just sort of the open because you thinking you're going to win in 2020 and thinking you're never going to face accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's where we really dodge at the bullet. And I think they they are going to they have exposed themselves over and over again. And uh, that would be my great joy. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> you know, be, it really because it's be. been, it's been, you know, it's been such a lack of dignity and such a, you know, middle finger to people who are suffering and struggling, and it's this constant posturing on Twitter. It's like you can't just be a really bad human, but you have to be openly cruel, and mm -hmm. um, that you just hope that, that they're accountable for that. Well, and it just shows. I mean, especially with Ivanka. You know, we've got Noel Kasler, who's just spilling all the tea on all of them. And one of the things that he was saying, and Mary Trump agreed with this. I, I asked mm -hmm. her about this on my show, and she said, yes, that Ivanka was most like Donald's father. I believe his name was Fred. And yeah. that he was, Donald behaves the way he does because he learned how, watching how Fred tr treated Donald's older brother, He's like, oh, I have to be this way. Oh, I have to never show emotion. Oh, I can't ever show any empathy, and, and I can't fail, and I can't do any of this. And so Ivanka has you know, gone to her Ivy League colleges, and she's, she understands how to appear, and I'm just saying appear, right. graceful and classy and all that stuff. But she's really not. She's just – she is a, a, a princess living in a bubble – that has catered to her needs. She, she's never, ever had any kind of real-life experience, ever. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's like, I, again, Noel Kasler had said something like, you know, she won't even 
shake the hands of, of those MAGA supporters because he was basically comparing Don Jr., who will just jump in the thick of it and he'll yeah. get in there and he'll, you know, he'll be gross with them, <laughs> you know, and he'll be one of them. But she sees herself, just like kind of Trump does, as above them. And she would never go to one of his rallies. She's never, I don't think, been to really any, maybe, maybe one, but she doesn't really go to his rallies because that's not her thing. And I'm just wondering, like, I'm, I, I really do hope that they go after her because I think she believes she has been so catered to her entire life. There's no reason for her to think right now that anything will be different and that she's just going to be able to escape whatever uh, lies she's told or criminal activities she's engaged in so that she can just continue on. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I would not be surprised if she threw both her father and Don Jr. under the bus if she thought they would get mm -hmm. in the way of her run. And I mean, I'm not sure she wants to be president, but I think there's a pretty decent chance that she thinks she has a chance at it. Right. And, you know, the thing is, you look at you ask the question, you know, how could someone even have a chance of being, a, a, you know, a decent, rational human being with Donald Trump as their father? You know, so I look at yeah. someone like Ivanka and she, she's more self-aware than he is. Mm -hmm. Right. And she's she's better at that persona than he is. But yeah. the, all the same impulses are there, all the same predatory impulses and, you know, the same lust for power. I mean, it's all the same. It's just in a much more um, palatable package. And I think, you know, that's been the greatest gift we have is Trump's open, you know, uh, right. incompetence. Yes. And so I, I would, you know, much, I would fear Ivanka as a candidate much more as a politician much more and yeah, that's why too. I think yeah we we should keep her from running because that would be really helpful <laughs> and I I really don't have enough faith the thing that really freaks me out is that I don't want the GOP to put up a woman candidate and that candidate wins before a Democratic candidate wins mm, because they will rub right. it in our face for the end of until the end of time and she she is very scary. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I think we have our work cut out for us because not only do we have to, as Democrats, do we have to repair so much of, of what's been, you know, stomped on, pulled apart and just completely. Um, uh, he, he's killed a lot of our traditions and norms. I mean, I, some of them we may be able to get back. Some of them we, we need to turn into law so that. You know, yeah. some, some of these things don't happen again. But I mean, it's just it, it, there, there's there's the political divide. There's the divide of like, you know, science, people who believe in science. There's so much to do. And it's, you know, can that I don't know that Biden is going to run in 2024. I don't feel confident that he will. I don't think that he will. And mm -hmm. so what does that mean? We're going to either go with Kamala or we're going to somebody's going to primary her and and. You know, and then who is it that we're going to run? And is it going to be strong enough? Where's the Republican Party? I mean, I, I, I heard you and you're saying that maybe within a year, two year and a half, we will look back and, and feel like, OK, we want to move forward in a more positive way. I mean, not that we're ever going to be like perfect and everybody's going to be kumbaya, but right. But, but there might be this kind of like, OK we don't have to deal with this anymore and just like a relief. And, you know, I don't know who they're going to nominate on their side, but it's like, I think that we're not out of the woods. You know, I know my boyfriend, Bob Seska is, he's going to dedicate his time in these next four years to pushing Democrats to be focused on winning. We have to win yep. because we cannot let them win. And so what's going to happen in these next four years, I'm really hoping that you're right, but it's going to be vital 
in order to convince we cannot do what we did with when Obama was president, where Democrats just thought, oh, everything's great because we've got Obama now and we don't have to worry about anything else. It's like we got to worry about those Republicans all the time. And I just want to point out Kamala said that democracy is not a given. It's something that it doesn't automatically come to us. It's something we have to fight for every single day. Mm. And, and, you know, we can't ever forget that as voters. And I, the last thing I want to ask you is that, um, do you think that this experience that we've been through, which in my opinion has been abuse on so many levels as a voter, I feel like I've been abused and, and I haven't had to deal with the worst of it because I'm 52 years old. I don't have to worry about access to, you know, if I wanted, wanted to get an abortion, I'm over that. I'm, I'm, I'm not that age anymore. So I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about that. I'm a white woman. I don't have to worry about the kind of, um, you know, racism or any of that. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to ride through this without f- having my life personally affected in, in a negative way, other than what we've all experienced. But I'm just, you know, whether it's school shootings and children being hype, like there's this hyper awareness of if I go to school, my life is in danger. And I mean, that started before Trump was president, but it's just this general idea. We've got yeah. the we've got the violence that we're seeing from police officers. There's white supremacy in in uh, law enforcement. And I, I and I'm just you know, my overall question is, do you think this experience that we've been going through is going to act as some kind of catalyst to swing us back into a positive direction? Because as much as it was awesome that Obama became our president and stayed president for two terms, he did kind of rip open that underbelly of racism that was, you know, people weren't exposing it. But then they felt more comfortable because a black man with the name of Barack Hussein Obama was president. And that freaked them out. And so they were they would do and say horrible things about Michelle and all that. And then ma- making it worse with Trump. Do you think it's going to be like a catalyst to move in a positive direction? Well, well, I mean, we better, I mean, it better have taught us that lesson because, yeah, really. a, you know, what are we doing here? I think, <laughs> you know, you're right. And there, Obama was such a reassuring presence too, that he re- made you relax yeah. because there was a, there was an, oh, everything is okayness about him. Mm-hmm. And Biden has that gift, I think too, yes, he does. which is helpful. It's helpful right now, but we want to make sure, I think that, that we don't relax. Yeah. I, I lean on, I look at my kids a lot. I have an 11 and a 15 year old and, and, you know, my son was like, say, so he's 15 and he was like, wow, I feel so bad for, for women right now who see this as the president. And he's just realizing I'm trying to help him understand. It wasn't always this way that yeah. people didn't always feel under attack by the leader of the country. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's what we have to keep realizing is there are people who are growing up with their understanding of America and their own value and it's being distorted by what he's done. And so anything that we can do to move that back, but not just the perception, but the actual, you know, America that they inherit, um, yeah, we can never go to sleep. We've just got to keep working. I mean, that's why we do what we do. If Trump had won or if Biden had won, I knew on November 4th I was going to have to get up and deal with this the crap that he's revealed. Yeah. So that's what we do. Wow. Well, you know, you always offer um, – you're so calm and, and you have – or I should say – just like with some of the other guests that I have, you have like a calming energy and you have such a, a good outlook and I, I truly appreciate it. 
and I like talking with you. And I know Kristen Johnston just loves you. <laughs> so that's oh my cool. gosh, she is the greatest, <laughs> and I uh, love you, Kristen. And that's the, you know, that's what we talk about a lot. I think you know, you come out of this with a whole new tribe of affinity and a whole new group Mm -hmm. of people to share life with. And, and those people like yourself, you know, we sustain each other in those days when we're like, I can't, I'm done. And I see a tweet of yours or Kristen's like, okay, (laughs) there are decent people are still on the job here. So let's keep going. And Kristen is just, she is such a great person. I love her because she's, you know, obviously she's an actress and uh, you know, I don't know if she would describe herself as a celebrity. I I know that some actors don't like that word, but regardless, Um, she is famous and she's it's so cool to see famous people who genuinely care and I mean it's not just about screaming at Ted Cruz which I like to do often but um, you know she she puts her money where her mouth is I know last Christmas and she'll probably be doing it this Christmas she was really pushing the um, you know teachers who need they, they have wish lists on Amazon and obviously they're they're not being you know they're they don't get the money from the school they have to get it from you and me and so Kristen does a a fantastic job of making people aware of that and helping those teachers get those wish lists fulfilled and she's such a good person I mean I could name a lot of them there's Kirk Acevedo and I mean he's funny because he's just he's such an alpha male and he's just so in your face but he's funny and and the thing is is that as much as I I know I use profanity and I, I'm also in your face. I think it, it comes from a place of just wanting our country to be more fair and more equitable. And, you know, even if you don't like people who live here, that's fine. You don't have to hang out with them. <laughs> you know, that's you just, right. You just that's right. Let, live and let live. Um, anyway, and so I just I also wanted to go over your I know you've written several books. Was the last book that you write, wrote was that stuff that needs to be said? Yeah, that's the latest kind of we released that. That's a collection of kind of my most widely read post over the past few years. And then we released a a bigger table, which was my first book, but out on a revised edition with expanded content and study guide and those things. Awesome. Well, and you're 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 I love what you write because it's so right to the point and it's it's sharp and it's clear. So I if, if you're not reading John's stuff, please read it. Follow him on Twitter. He's got such a great message. And frankly, I mean, just, I think I've told you this before, but I mean, I'm not a religious person, although I do believe in, I'm, I'm spiritual and I, I, I don't maybe view God in exactly the same way that a Christian does, but I believe in, how, uh, there's an intelligence, there's a love, there's an energy. And I think that it, to me, it's it's all the same thing, although we might cloak it or we might put it in a different outfit or whatever. It, it, it represents the same thing. And I think we're all just here on this journey to learn. And, and you're one of those people that does a very good job of breaking it down in simple – you're bre- like breaking down complex – complex issues in a simple way so that they're easily understood, easily digested, and they really resonate with the reader. So so definitely mm. check out his work. Um, and then, of course, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, if you can spell my name, J-O-H-N-P-A-V-L-O-V-I-T-Z, then you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, all that stuff, my, bo- my blog. So, uh, yeah. Perfect. Well, I will put your website and your Twitter handle in the Patreon post. And then also you can find me at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. And then you can find all my, that's author Kimberly on Twitter. And then you can find my books on Amazon. And thank you for being on the show, John. I love you. I love your voice. I love everything you say. I think you're so awesome. So thank you for being on the show. 
pay love right back. I so appreciate you, Kimberly. And let's uh, talk soon. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.